Welcome back to the Rick Z Show. I am your host, Rick Z, and I'm happy to say we're here to do part two of our interview with Mr. Paul Antonell of the Clubhouse Studio here in Rhinebeck, New York. Paul, welcome back. Thank you for having me. I've been excited about this for a couple of weeks, uh, coming up with questions and topics, things I want to talk about. And as always, time is of the essence. We got a lot of ground to cover. I've noticed there's been all kinds of great clientele here at the clubhouse over the years. I mean, just amazing artists. You know, wherever I go playing music, inevitably the clubhouse or your name comes up amongst musicians. I'll talk to people. I'll mention you or the clubhouse. Oh, I know the clubhouse. Or either they've recorded something here or they've heard of it or they know you or whatever your reputation precedes you. And one of the reasons uh, that you get all these great clients is this place has a great reputation. I mean, Linda Ronstadt is recorded here. Dr. John is recorded here. George Clinton has recorded here. Dave Holland is, re- I mean, yeah. I could go on and Jack on and DeJunette, on. Jack um, DeJunette. We, we do a lot of jazz records and, um, you know, there's a lot of things we, we've worked, we did Fountains of Wayne, um, Sean Mendez. Sean Mendez. Had a number one record that was uh, recorded here. What else? Uh, the, the Lumineers. The Lumineers. Another the number one record. Um, Lindsey Webster. We, we, you know, we. Donna we, Lewis. Donna Lewis is recorded here. David Torn. It just goes here. on and on. I mean, it's um, quite a list. And um, we, we basically, it's it's interesting because we tend to do a lot of pop a lot of jazz uh, and a smidge of you know what I call classical which is like string quartet style music and stuff. That's actually a forte of yours yes? Yes it is. It's one of our uh, it's it's really one of our biggest things and one of the things I enjoy doing the most is string quartets or octets um, and uh, whether it's kind of modern classical music, avant-garde classical music, or avant-garde jazz, um, or traditional three-piece jazz, I love that style. And I also love, um, uh, you know, doing something where we would take like a, a, a jazz quartet and putting everybody in the room together and stuff. And, you know, there are a lot of challenges, but you know, kind of going for, always kind of chasing that old sound, yeah. you know, and. Uh, There's always something going on here, I notice. I mean, on any given day, I could call you to discuss, you know, a project of mine or something, and you're right in the middle of, you know, some great session that people would kill to, to be here and witness. I mean, just to, just randomly, tomorrow, for example, I, I think, or over the next couple of days, you'll have James Earl Jones in here doing a voiceover, one of the greatest voices ever. You know, you have Darth amazing. Vader, Darth yes. Vader in your studio. <laughs> I mean, and this is not the, this is the second return. He was, I did a project with him in Germantown many, many years ago. And uh, so this is a return. Uh, this is his first time here. Uh, and then, um, you know, Friday we're working on uh, some, uh, with an actor for this show called Billions. On Netflix. On Netflix. And then on Saturday we have a band, called, you know, from... Elmira, New York, coming in for four days. Will you tell us a little bit about the? You have a, a really special event coming up with Ben Folds of Ben Folds Five. Yes. Tell me a little bit about that. It sounds like a fascinating project. Uh, Ben's manager had called me, and Ben came down and recorded a song and released it <laughs> on a forty-five, which is, 
called Mr. Peepers, and we did it all in a couple of days, and this uh, great engineer in L.A. mixed it. And uh, we, we had just, you know, Ben played everything himself, and it was really fun, and we really worked hard, and it was, um, I think it came out really great. And Ben's manager called me um, and said, would you be interested in, we'd like to do like a live streaming program at the studio where Ben actually takes requests. And I think it's a fascinating idea. And I was like, yeah, it's kind of like live television, you know, and uh, he's going to take requests, play piano, sing, and then overdub drums or overdub bass, overdub guitar, and all live. That's amazing. And I think it's a, we're, we're, we're doing the first episode, I think it's um, April 6th, and um, I think we can figure out where to find it. I'm not exactly sure. I think it's Patreon is the website. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. Can't wait to see and it. And he's an amazing, amazing artist. A great so, musician, yeah. A great musician, yeah. Now, let me ask you this. Uh, you obviously, you, you know a lot of stuff. You, you have tons of experience. You've been doing this a long time. But I notice you always have some great producers in here. Uh, John Boylan has done a lot of work here as a friend of yours. One of the greatest of all time. <laughs> absolutely. Not to mention Bob Ezrin. Bob Ezrin works here, yeah. I mean, Bob Ezrin has, you know, produced Pink Floyd and Kiss and Alice Cooper and, you know, Lou Reed. I mean, you name it. He's worked with them. I mean, how much can you still learn from these people? I imagine well, you're still learning. I'm always learning. And, you know, Bob... Ezrin taught me, you know, a, a couple of tricks, you know, and um, he's he's just an amazing guy. And I wish I could do more stuff with Bob, but we worked on Pete Seeger's 90th birthday party. And, um, you know, it was a one-off show and we had to fix a whole bunch of, you know, out-of-tune things and re-record vocals and stuff like that. And he was amazing. And my Bob Ezrin story... He looked at my mic locker and he said, I've been in this business over 37 years. This was a while ago. And he goes, you have mics I've never seen before. Wow. And I went, well, that's cool. And he goes, do you have any M49s? And I said, no. And he goes, I'm going to fix that right now. And he, called, he opened up his phone and hooked me up with a fellow who was retiring and had a pair of M49s. And he put the whole deal together for me. Wow. Wow. And it was just Bob Ezrin being that's who he is, you know, that's and, awesome. Um, you know, I cherish them. They're my pride and joy. They're, you know, probably 50 years old by now or 60 years old. And uh, the guy was a classical engineer and it's exactly what I wanted. And uh, that, you know, that's the kind of stuff that happens to me. And um, it was a pleasure working with him. He was a true gentleman and, and a great producer. That's great to hear. And I get to ask him a lot of stories about Pink Floyd and Peter Gabriel. Which that's really fun, nice. too. Absolutely. You know, I mean, having producers and great musicians working in here, kind of informing uh, your work and vice versa. I mean, that's really great. There's been so many people that come through here, so many different instances of, of great uh great recording dates what are some of your favorites well that's a really great question you know um you know it, it's just the things that come to mind are you know really when you have um when the music's it's always a challenge to kind of capture it and then when it's good it just resonates with you you know and it's hard to put my finger on what were the favorite sessions 
I, I have a lot of memories of like when outside engineers come in and, you know, somebody else gets to use the studio and that really excites me, you know, in terms of uh, being influenced by, you know, James Farber, Neil Dorsman, uh, you know, the list goes on and on of, of people who have John Holbrook who have worked here and stuff. It's hard to put my finger on exactly what are some of my favorite sessions. You know, Linda Ronsett's session was amazing, you know, and it was probably her last studio record. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you what some of your least favorite are. I don't, <laughs> I don't expect you to throw anybody under the bus. You know, you, you, you're, you, you, you know, you got to eat. You'll have to wait for my book for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be writing it. So yeah, of course. You'll be waiting a while. <laughs> um, you know, there's 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 always a you know you know a bad apple in the bunch you know but historically uh, without naming names what, what kind of instances are there that that you occur i mean we are talking about you know musicians so you know we got yeah. some colorful people and some just some crazy circumstances there's crazy circumstances um you know i i you know, there's so many stories of like, um, you know, cops showing up at the studio and and uh, for you or the clients, the clients, okay. you know, um, other things. Uh, it, it's hard. There's always some drama of some kind. You know, I had an had an assistant engineer that had a grand mal seizure wow. in the middle of a session. We oh. were recording uh, healing bowls. I, I literally, wow. at the very last overdub, eight o'clock at night, the last thing we we're doing, four people, you know, doing healing bowls, and this guy just went to get up and he passed out. Wow. And, and uh, you know, the uh, 911 sent an ambulance. I mean, there's so much crazy stuff that can happen, um, you know. Uh, yeah, all kinds of stories that I've heard, some of which may not even be true. Yeah. I heard a story once. I don't know where I heard this from. I don't know how credible it is, but I heard um, that Carly Simon was asked to do an overdub by by one of your clients on uh, some somebody knew Carly Simon, and she wanted to. The only way she would do it is is if she could land her Learjet uh, in the Germantown High School uh, <laughs> football field. Is there any truth to that? Um, no, the issue was she. Yeah, they couldn't get a plane. There was no airport that was close that could handle this jet. And so basically what happened is we ended up recording it in New York City. Um, but the airports that could handle this plane were Stewart and Albany, and it wasn't just close enough. It wasn't point. close enough. Yeah. I mean, that was in 1991 you know, or whatever. Yeah. And um, we ended up going to New York to record her vocals. And... What a great sound she had, and it was a really great experience for me to 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 go meet her and that's and, great and do do it. You know, that's, I mean, I remember plenty of sessions of my own that were off the wall. I, I mean, not to mention the the record I just finished this weekend here at the clubhouse. But I I look back into the past and I remember all kinds of crazy circumstances. Do you when, cry? Um, 
I laugh, Paul, because if I didn't, I would surely cry. Yes. So I have to laugh. I keep my chin up. Uh, you know. I understand completely. I go into denial. Yeah, it's, I understand. It's part of my style. Me, me too. Me too. Um, but in any case, uh, many years ago, I was working at the clubhouse on uh, a project, and, and I remember the building that, that all of this expensive equipment was in was falling down. Yeah. It was literally, the building was leaning. You, as you come into the parking lot, you see that one building is standing up straight and the one right. next to it is, is leaning. leaning. Yeah. You, know, it, you know, this imposing building, like it's, a, it's about to come down on your head while you're recording. Uh, I remember yeah. uh, freight trains going by and we'd have to break, like up oh, train, you know, right. and, and we go take a break and sit down, wait for it to pass. And then we go back to recording. I mean, I had the fire de department come to the old clubhouse in Germantown. Um, you know, there was many, many <laughs> situations. Yeah. Um, you know, the thing that you try to keep in perspective is, you don't, you want to at least help people get their music from A to Z, you know, and it's super important. Um, a lot of the groups I work with are small bands. They don't have a lot of money. Um, there's not really record companies anymore that want to take chances. Um, but, um, you know, you really want to treat everybody like they're a star, like they're Carly Simon or Natalie Merchant or somebody. They all show them respect all the way through the line. And that's one of the things that we've tried to do as much as possible is really show that common thread of professionalism and take people's music seriously. And I think that's really helped me over time, um, you know, secure people coming back and saying, well, I want to work there because, you know, he cares, you know, and uh, I do care. You know, and I love making records with with young bands and established bands. And well, it really shows. Love uh, the challenges of it, and it's challenging because everything's different. And some people are just crazy, and musicians are nuts. I mean, I've seen you do a fifteen-hour day. I, I've seen you put hours and hours in on uh, on music of mine that I'm not even willing to put in. And, <laughs> you know, uh, so I, I mean that that's a testament well, to why thank people you, man. record I, here. You know, there. You know, a lot of my experience comes from doing, you know, it's it's doing these jobs, getting these challenges, figuring it out. I mean, it's really hard to run a commercial studio in 2019, uh, you know, in an era where they don't even exist anymore. You know, like commercial studios have kind of fallen by the wayside. Yeah, It's all moved out of New York City and it's just basically a computer in a room. But... You know, a real studio to me has a real board, a real grand piano, and real isolation. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, you're you're from an old school time. You know, the things you described, uh, particularly in last week's episode, about growing up listening to records, sure. uh, about still referring to projects as records. I mean, th that's, a, that's a certain mentality, and that mentality is, is largely gone from, from the record business these days. There are no records in the record business these days. No. People don't even sell records. They sell singles. Right. And, you know, how do you reconcile those two things? You still got to eat. You still have well, to get clients in here. Well, you know, it's interesting. I think what's going on now is reminiscent of what was going on in the late 50s with all these little independent record companies, mm -hmm. you know? So I think there's a parallel universe to that. Um, 
people still need to get together to either write music, either play music, and you can't play drums and record bass in a, in a studio apartment. It just doesn't work, right. you know? And the people that understand what I do, it's very valuable to certain people. Um, you know, doing this streaming show with Ben Folds is a really important thing because it's kind of a new thing um, for us to jump into. And I think the future for me is to do more streaming shows. You know, once we do a couple and we figure out what's cool about it, we'll, 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 do, we'll certainly do some here. You know, and I think that's that's a new way to kind of survive. And, um, you know, the piano is not going away. The drum kit is not going away. Electric guitars are not going away. You don't hear them in popular music now, but you're going to again. I agree. Because they're going to come back. I mean, the last five records I've listened to of new pop people, there's no electric guitars. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. That's, you know, that's the cool thing about music. It takes, you know, turns and twists and turns into something else. And I like that. Uh, that's what's great about music. And you've always rolled with those changes as one of the, the hallmarks of the clubhouse, I well, think, is that, that you can record anything here. Well, from. let me give you an example. In the 80s, at some point, um, you know, people were like, well, you got to learn about MIDI and, and, and all this, you know, which is basically electronic programming for drums and keyboards and stuff like that. And I basically skated right through it. I mean, I appreciate it. I wasn't very good at it, but, you know, I grew up recording, you know, real uh, rhythm sections and real horn sections and vocal sections all live, you know, and did a lot of work like that in New York and a lot of it up here and stuff. But, um, you know, I went, I kind of drove right through the MIDI part of things. And sometimes, you know, what's new is old and what's old is new, you know? And I, I think, you know, some of these things that become old over time become va valuable, you know, like some of the old mics we have, which people were throwing them away are now super valuable now. Yeah. And um, they just don't make the old stuff anymore. You know, I'm curious, did you ever hang an ambient mic from from the ceiling and have five guys stand around it like the Beatles used to do just, just to try to record that way? Yeah, we, you know, we do crazy, you know, we, we, that's a real interesting point because one of the great things about an environment that you can actually hear things and figure things out is you can f do funny things like we have a stairway that goes down into our lounge and we put a, a mic down there for the drums at the bottom of the stairs. And, you know, that's like standard stuff. Um, always trying to figure out a better guitar sound or, or a good acoustic guitar sound. And, you know, that's the kind of stuff you have fun with. And, and you can, you know, once you you know that everything sounds a certain way, you can really experiment. And yeah, yeah I, 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 the crazy stuff, you know, I believe we smash bottles into a, a tub and- That was me. And mm -hmm. uh, I think we, didn't we take a thousand- uh, Gumballs? Gumballs and drop them across the floor. We, they're or? still finding them, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, well, but, you know, and, and experimenting, like, you know, doing vocals through a Leslie cabinet and, that that's that's the stuff that's great when you get to camp out here and you get to you know enjoy being here and no stuff. doubt and i noticed musicians love to see each other it's kind of part of that visceral 
live recording situation where you're you're kind of uh, firing off of each other and you're, you're you're cueing each other in some subtle ways that you do when you play live you know in a well, studio you're a lot of times you're segmented off from each other for sonic reasons but right. it's and nice to be in a room together with your your well, mus- I wanna, musicians i want to touch on that point because i think it's a really interesting thing when i was learning about recording everything was separated everything was isolated and so forth and so on and then I started listening to those, you know, Phil Spector records, and I just couldn't get over how good they sounded. I was like, holy shit, how the hell did they do this? They had, you know, barely had eight channels. Most of it was four channels, and most of it was, you know, um, just putting a whole bunch of people in a tiny room. The rooms weren't that big, but it was a big sound. So i started as i started getting into producing people and started working on stuff i just to start started putting more people in the room like instead of one keyboard player i'd hire two instead of you know a drummer and a percussionist a bass player and sometimes an upright player as well so i started actually doing things that were influenced by me and some of the records that i used to listen to because i kept striving instead of separating music taking more together and that's kind of what specter did that was super cool yeah you know is he just put five guitar players and and you know he he basically kind of came up with midi before midi you know you know how would those old school guys be improved or not be improved by recording you know, I, I think of a guy like Hal Blaine just recently passed away. Oh, you know, and you were talking about the, these the tiny rooms that a guy like Phil Spector, he had this huge sound, but he's got this tiny room. They lot, weren't that big. Most of the rooms weren't as big as this room. You know, they take were, a state-of-the-art studio by today's standards right. and put a guy like Hal Blaine in it. Is he going to do better work, or, or does it not make a difference to a guy like that? I don't think it makes a difference. I think when you have the musicians, I think it's always in the the hands and the brain of the musicians. And you know, you can give a great guitar player a terrible guitar and they can play something great in it, you know? Yeah. I mean, have you heard anybody play rhythm guitar better than John Lennon? I don't think I have. You no, know? he's, he's <laughs> underrated. Like, underrated rhythm guitar player yeah. to die for, mm-hmm. you know? And um, my, my point is, is, is putting a guy like Hal Blaine he was just inventive. They didn't have a lot of tricks back then, so they used to make stuff up. And, you know, I'm just a huge fan of his feel. His True feel pioneers. Was, his feel was amazing. And he, the reason why everybody used him is he just played great, you know? And um, that's another thing that you learn. Like, what I learned from, you know, going through the years of working with, you know, as my clientele got better, the musicians got better, and there was a time when people, you know, were doing hiring studio musicians and um, that changed my life. That was a real eye opener for me when I started working with Gary Burke and, um, you know, Tony Levin, Jim Weeder and uh, John Platania, John Platania, Warren Bernhardt. Uh, just when the musicianship just was like elevated. Oh, the track sounded great. And then I, I just, you know, for me, you don't go back, you go forward, you know. And it was just an awareness that you just were like, oh, that's how they got that sound. You had a great drummer. So Hal Blaine was a big influence. You listen to his music, you listen to his feel. And, it, you know, the feel for me is everything. 
Well, you two are a pioneer, uh, Mr. Paul Antonell, and a lot of people know that around here and beyond this area as well. And I just, Thank you. I just wish you continued success. I can't believe our time is ebbing away again. Before we leave, I want to touch on something else. On a personal note, you know, it wasn't too long ago you became a father for the yes. first time. And, uh, you know, kind of late in life, yes. you know, I think you were 55, 56 or something. Yeah, 56, yeah. And you know, how has that informed your your work and, and how has it uh, maybe changed some of your goals or not changed some of well, your goals? Well, thank you. Um, my daughter's name is Cora and I'm in love with her. She's adorable. And, you know, it's brought a great awareness to me of, what's important in my life and my passion for recording I hope it's equally um, demonstrated for raising her and, and making her beautiful I know it will be woman and she's um, you know I've already had her doing hand claps <laughs> on, a, on a record and uh, does know. she work cheap because I could use a, <laughs> I could use a, an extra no, hand no no okay. um, you know it's it's changed a lot, you know, and, and I, uh, awareness is, you know, I use that term lightly because it, it really shows what's important, you know, and uh, like, I love this place. You can tell I love it. You can tell the passion of, of what I did to, to make it. And, uh, you know, having her is really just, it's just really fantastic man i'm very happy for thank you thank you for you deserve it and thank you and by the way one of these days you're going to win a grammy you don't have your grammy yet but been you, nominated you're, you're a gonna... couple of times you know we had best new age record uh this year and we we had a couple of years ago we had a Beausoleil record that was nominated yeah you know i'm not i don't sweat the small stuff um no it's not why you're in it i can tell i mean I'm you're in it because you make, love it i mean it to make records yeah. and um you know, when there's a lot of groups that come here, you know, I jokingly say you've made it to the clubhouse, you know, and um, we have a really good uh, bookings coming up this year already. And uh, I'm really excited that um, people still need real studios to make records. And, you know, the genie's been let out of the bottle. People can have a Pro Tools rig. You can make, you know, every, you know, Every now and then you get a great record like Moby, who made that record, which was like fantastic, you know, home, like a home recording kind of thing. But there's nothing better than putting a group of people in a room with some great songs. And that's really the passion. That's the passion. It's very simple. Yeah. It's very simple. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, you know, it, it's a, a true honor to have you on the show. Oh, well, thank you, you've you, man. upgraded our show by tenfold just in these two episodes. And. I really appreciate you being on. Let and me know. I'd love to come back and, you know, chit chat. We'll definitely have you on again. You know, I can bring some I can bring some special guests if you want. Uh, of course I want. That's that, this, <laughs> this show is getting better all the time. That's great. Thank you so well, much. Thank you, Paul. Rick. Good and luck with this. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. You've been listening to the Rick Z show. I'm your host, Rick Z, and we'll be back next week. Please come back and listen. We'd love to have you. We'll see you next time. Music.